Welcome, film industry professionals, movie aficionados, and aspiring filmmakers. This is the Cinema Pathway Podcast, brought to you by Paradoxical Films. I'm your host, Howard Brand. Join us on a journey behind the camera, and most importantly, beyond what we know about film and the craft of filmmaking. Today's Cinema Pathway Podcast with Dana Della Camera will be our last episode of Season 2. Our first episode of Season 3 will air on September 25th. Take this time to go back and listen to some of your favorite episodes, and be sure to follow us on Instagram at cinema underscore pathway underscore podcast to stay up to date on the latest Cinema Pathway happenings. So sit tight. Grab some popcorn and soda. Let's go ride on Cinema Pathway. Welcome listeners, this is the Cinema Pathway Podcast. I think if there's one thing our audience has learned about me, it's that I'm a storyteller at heart. And I think what makes someone a good storyteller is that they first have to be a good story listener. One of my favorite things about hosting this podcast is hearing stories from our guests, you know, hearing how they got their start, uh, stories and anecdotes from shoots behind the scenes, um, and really just about things they've learned along the way. Our guest today, of course, uh, has a fascinating story about how and when she started in this industry but what's just as important is right now she's doing a lot of great things to encourage and help others tell their stories uh so i'm very pleased to welcome dana della camera to our show dana welcome thank you howard it's great to be here really excited to have you uh usually when i introduce our guests i include the different titles and jobs they've done producer director actor cinematographer art director and so on um and we've had many guests who've done a lot of different things uh but i think your story is very unique everyone has their own journey and there's no one-size-fits-all approach to how people get into the industry uh normally performing is how most folks get started uh you are an actor and a singer was performing your first foray into this industry and when did that all start for you yes actually i mean when i was a kid i started out as a visual artist so i started out drawing actually and then from there i got into dance and then music musical theater and then film so it was a progression from about the time i was four or five years old onward um exploring the different paths and ultimately for me i would say film and and acting filmmaking that ultimately is where I found my, where I was the most self-expressed. Mm-hmm. So in art, I kind of felt limited in visual art alone. So I feel more fully self-expressed at either, you know, acting or singing. So you started out as a triple, as a traditional triple threat and then just expanded. Yeah, I think it's an evolution for me. You know, I think that's one of the things about how I got into the production side, because I didn't even know I could do production because I was always used to being in front of the camera on the performance side. And it wasn't until about uh, 2016 that I actually jumped on the production side because I wasn't cast in front of the camera. So I said, well, I'm here, you know, <laughs> let me help out. And essentially, they were like, well, do this and do that. And I was like, oh, I can do that. Mm-hmm. You know, I know how to do that. And before I knew it, I was creative producing and then I was writing and then I was casting and then I was, you know, uh, assistant directing and location scouting and whatever else needed to get done. So and I realized that I had a lot of transferable skills from my business background that transferred uh, successfully into film. So it's really been an evolution of things I didn't even know I 
I could do until I was put in a situation and I got the opportunity to to try them out. And, and I'm glad you mentioned your business background. Uh, it seems that you've had almost two full-time careers at the same time. So aside, obviously, from the film industry, uh, you're a very accomplished HR professional. What drew you to that? And how did you get into that line? So, um, so I was a, a young mother. I was a young single mother. And that's really the bottom line. You know, I, I was doing musical theater at the time and my mom was like, you know, this is uh, not paying the bills. So you need to get a real job. (laughs) At the time, I was like living in her house with her and my son in one bedroom. And she was like, Dana, you know, like, you need to get a real job, you know, and I was like, okay. And of course, I was heartbroken, really. But I was like, because I was still even though, you know, young single mother, I was still trying to pursue my dream. And I just realized that I might have to put that on hold for a little while. Mm -hmm. So I went back to school and I got a master's degree in management and human resources so that I could provide a life for myself and my child and um, did human resources, HR managing, worked in higher education as the directors of career services departments. And essentially, when I was uh, a kid, I kind of had this I don't want to say this. It's not love hate with <laughs> a relationship with my mom <laughs> because there's moments mm-hmm. of uh, support mm-hmm. uh, that are really I'm so grateful for, and then there's moments of no not support <laughs> at all. Uh, so uh, it's it's been a, a challenge uh, to say the least growing up between that that dynamic of support and not support um, growing up. Uh, eventually, I just had to get stable enough in my business career so that I could finally just tell her, like, look, like I've made it like in my business career. I have a roof over my head. I have a stable income. Like, don't make me wrong for going out and then now starting to like reconnect with who I really am. Because what I realized is that I just created this character, this character, Dana, the business person. And then I forgot that that's a character I created. But that's not really who like Dana is. It's just one piece. You know, I got lost in the own, my own story that I created to survive. And then once I was surviving, I'm like, OK, now I need to start building the bridge back to my creative self because I was just, you know, in and out of depressions when I when I had no creative outlet. And so I don't think anyone in my family really understood um, that or or was conflicted mm-hmm. in understanding that. You know, both of my parents had like difficult childhoods where they were not supported at all. So it was this this constant tug of like, I want to support you because I never had that support growing up. But now I'm actually envious of you because you have that support that I never had. And it became very, you know, challenging, I would say, as a kid, even growing up till now to really kind of navigate through that. And eventually I came to a point in my life where I had to distance myself from my family because they were not supporting my my creative endeavors and it was it became unhealthy for me so you know sometimes i think that's the most heartbreaking part of being a creative is when the people that you love the most are not the ones they're cheering you from the sidelines you know so you know you kind of have to like for me i realized i had to break out and find my my chosen family and and as much as you know hr is great i still from time to time i bring that knowledge into everything that i do hr actually helps with casting <laughs> you know like all the event management i did is is production is is creative you know so everything it's really ironic how really one thing is helpful all my life coaching experience I use that on set all the time 
I use that in my daily life every day. So it's it's really funny, but the two are not as far as apart as you might think. I like what you said about sometimes we get into a career and we're playing a character. I think a lot of people can relate to that. I think when I think back, I spent 15 years working in government as a project manager, which the transferable skills, that's what you know, got me into producing and AD. But the other point you bring up, especially how hard it is for creatives, and I think a lot of people, I hope a lot of people are realizing that now when you look at the writer's strike and look at the actor's strike, that yes, there's the A-list stars, but you know, for the whatever top, say 500 you know, stars, there's tens of thousands of working actors who work two, three jobs just to be able to get that. And they're, uh, they're getting screwed. Well, you know, I think we're just going through a, a growth period right now within the industry. Um, also, when you look at AI and what's the impact, and I think there's a lot of uncertainty, you know, and I think that I, I don't think AI will ever fully replace talent because AI right now, at least, it can't generate the quality of complete, unique, independent right. thought, right? Like we were just talking about I'm a Virgo. I don't know if AI could create something that creative and, and, and incredible um, and that nuanced, you know? Um, so I think that, I think it, I think AI will help and make it easier or, you know, or maybe eliminate certain positions, but maybe create other um, opportunities. From what I understand, there's going to be another wave of technology within the next five years as well. Mm -hmm. And then it's going to plateau. So we're going to be, I think, in this limbo until everything shakes down and settles down. Um, but look at COVID. Look at how many people were on their phones. They had nothing to do but stream content. So mm -hmm. we just have, we have to Maybe the business model has to change as far as how the money is made in the industry. So I think it's just kind of like understanding because everybody needs to get paid and compensated for what they're bringing to the table. And I'm actually glad to hear that they're striking, just like I was glad to hear that the writers are striking because, you know, I think creatives are so undervalued and it's so, you know, there's so much healing through art. There's so much dialogue like we were you know, talking about through politics, through what's happening in society, that we can communicate through art that is not possible in other ways. And art keeps us grounded um, and, and gives us something to, I would say, something maybe even to escape from when we need to in times like these where they are uncertain. So I think art is so needed. I mean, when you look at even, like I used to live in an art building in downtown Fort Lauderdale that's uh, a building through art space which they have buildings all over the United States and they basically purchase dilapidated buildings in the downtown areas and they renovate them and rent them out to artists for affordable housing you know why did they do that they thought they did that because there was so much urban sprawl everybody was going to the suburbs and the downtown areas were so just uninspired. And after five o'clock, it was just like a ghost town. The problem with that was that they realized that it was a lack of innovation. There's a lack of energy in the downtown area that was actually ins inspiring to even like other business folks that maybe wouldn't put them under the umbrella of like, I'm an artist or a creative, which I believe everyone is an artist and a creative. You just have to figure out what that creative self-expression for you is. But just being around art actually creates and ignites thoughts and ideas in every 
every industry. It's a very powerful thing. And so you saw, you know, governments try to bring in the arts back into the downtown area. And as you can see, look at now downtown Miami. It's completely transformed with all the art. It used to be a ghost town at five o'clock. Now it's completely bustling. You have our bustle. It's growing. So the art has an economic impact. It's just I don't understand why the government is not under, like understanding the reports and the details and the numbers. And a lot of times people with the money don't understand the the industry or you know even when you'll hear film producers you know that that um people like um oh my god what's his name barry jenkins from moonlight that he still has to walk into a room and people are asking him like can he make can he make an oscar winning movie like is he gonna get the job done should we give him a hundred million dollars like yes (laughs) like i don't understand but you have to talk business to the business audience and i think that you know as artists it's always like how do we talk to you know we have to be better I think um, entrepreneurs and communicate the numbers because it's all about the return on your investment and so I think you know it's it's kind of like this putting on your artist hat putting on your business hat and speaking the language of whoever you're talking with because you have to create that trust so I just think that I'm sorry that was a long answer <laughs> to your question but I just get passionate about these things so anyway <laughs> no it's, it's, it's great I think what what's important again you know my you know south florida where we are you know super creative super creatives in so many different mediums on there but and then when, when it comes to film though i do think there is a, a knowledge gap between the number of creatives and the number of you know film business people with sandy at the film commission uh with that a few others but there's not enough that are really able to bring those hundred million dollar productions back into into South Florida, you know, when they do have everything that's needed and the incentives are coming up, like you say, it's, it's that knowledge gap. And, you know, I'd like to see more like film business types coming down here, you know, that can advocate, that could bring, that have the connections, you know, hey, don't shoot in Hollywood, you know, hey, don't shoot in South Carolina to make a look in Florida, shoot in Florida. You've been down here longer than me. You've seen those kind of peaks and valleys of the South Florida film industry. What's your take on where you think things are going? So what we really have to do is get behind Sandy uh, uh, Leiterman, the Broward Film Commissioner, and uh, who is now the president of Film Florida, um, and essentially the which is essentially the lobbying group uh, for film. So it really has to be um, a collective effort across the state to to lobby and to actually go and physically show up, because you know I know back in the day. People, you know, other other cities were complaining, like all the money is going to Miami and Orlando. Why do we have to pay for the incentives or fund the incentives? But that's no longer the case. You have places like Tampa, St. Petersburg, St. Augustine, um, Orlando, you know, even Fort Lauderdale. Now you have Miami Beach. You have all these other cities that are saying, you know what, we're not going to wait for, you know, the government to wake up. We're going to do things in our cities that we can control and offer film incentives. So you 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 can't deny what other cities are happening at the governmental level. So it makes one wonder what is happening at the government level behind the scenes that is continuing them to block the, um, you know, the incentives from moving forward. So one wonders, you know, um, 
what could be preventing that? And I'm going to leave it like that. (laughs) (laughs) So I think it takes it takes numbers. It's going to take people showing up because politicians, you have to they don't want to look bad. They need to get reelected. So what happens is, you know, filmmakers go, they pour their heart out in front of these city commissioners and they're like, oh, yes, yes, yes. This makes so much sense. We're going to vote for it. But then when it gets down to it, they don't vote things through. We've had bills consistently in the House and the Senate that haven't gotten voted through. It's total and utter nonsense. <laughs> okay, so that's it. You know, we need to take a field trip. We can even make a documentary. We need to show up and be like, no, like enough is enough. And me taking a super simplistic view is it uh, is caused competition between cities and film commissions over the same the same production. I mean, especially right here, you got three significant film commissions. You got Miami, Broward County. And Palm Beach, you know, all have different incentive programs, all have their thing. But but generally, someone who comes to film in South Florida, they're probably going to touch all three of those somewhere in their production. But what happens, you have this this internal competition, you know, all fighting o- over over just the little bit of the little bit of crumbs that the state is getting. So that's really interesting. Um, I'm not as familiar with um it appears it appears that West Palm and Fort Lauderdale have, you know, some of their events I've noticed are joint. I've worked with um, Commissioner Giron in Miami, and he's he's also very passionate about bringing film. So I, I'm not aware of any... I'm sure that there's a little healthy competition maybe, but I'm not aware of like any other competition like that. To me, I actually see it the other way around. I see like, oh my God, Thank God we have three film commissioners in three, you know, different counties all aligned trying to create the same the same impact, the same bringing and welcoming of film productions to South Florida. So I see it as the stars aligning. I see it as something good because there's power in numbers. And I think there's enough to go around for everybody. And I think uh, we're stronger together. And so I'm always an advocate. You know, that's why at least, you know, my work in the Arts Accelerator, we always do things for Dade, Broward, and we invite our West Palm folks too, because we're stronger together as a community. And the more we support and uplift everyone, the stronger we're going to be, the more lobbying power we're going to have. You know, it's just to me, I mean, I understand it. It's it makes it challenging for funding dollars. And I know this because the Arts Accelerator, we apply for grants. And even as an artist, I've applied and gotten grants before. And a lot of times that grant money can't cross over county lines. So, you know, and then you have to be an artist and live in that city. There's there's a lot of um you know, there's a lot of requirements for grants and mm-hmm. it's it makes it challenging. It makes it challenging sometimes when you see them giving grants to people in other counties when you're like, wait, I'm over here. Yeah. <laughs> like, <Yeah>. hello. <laughs> but um, and vice versa, you know, so it, it's, you know, the industry and life, it's all who, you know, you just have to network more and be so good at what you do that people can't deny you and, and just keep trucking and never give up. This 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 industry is not for the faint of heart. Okay, <laughs> you have to love what you do and be patient, passionate about what you do because you're gonna get a lot of no's. You're gonna get a lot of, a lot of closed doors, and uh, you know you're gonna get highs too, and you're gonna get those wins. And uh, and your passion, I think, is is what's gonna carry you through the the, the hills and the valleys. So yep. 
definitely. We're gonna co- we're gonna talk more about the Arts Accelerator and some of your other projects that you have going on. Uh, we're gonna take a quick break, and we'll be right back. Cinevideotech and Paradoxical Films are pleased to bring you Tell Your Story Master Training Workshops. You will learn how to work with actual 16 millimeter and 35 millimeter film and film cameras, as well as how to load and change magazines. In addition, the workshop will teach you what it takes to work on set as a first or second assistant camera, the fundamentals of lighting, and the pathway to becoming a director of photography. Visit www.paradoxicalfilms.com backslash tell your story for information on dates, pricing, and how to sign up. Hurry as seats are limited and classes are filling up quickly. And we are back with Dana Della Camera. I want to talk about your performing your performing background. You've done musical theater, you've done screen acting, you've also done, I guess, performance art. Um, I guess your first love, your start was a musical theater, and then it evolved from there. So take take us back to where you know that started. I know you mentioned doing it when you were a young kid, but did you really get into it like in high school or college or somewhere in between or before? As I, I kind of mentioned earlier, you know, I grew up actually I had my first paid musical theater gig when I was 11 um, locally. So that was really cool. And I thought, oh, my gosh, like, you know, I'm on my way kind of a thing. And then um, interestingly enough, like right after that show, I wanted my mom to take me to an audition for the Mickey Mouse Club and she would not take me. Mm-hmm. And I was heartbroken because I thought she didn't think I had the talent to to do it. And I was like so angry with her about that because I just, you know, my mom was a school teacher and she never took a day off of work. And I'm like, I know you have like one day you could take off of work and she wouldn't do it. And I was just like, I couldn't understand it as a child. Like, why, why wouldn't she support me on this? You know, when she knows this is my dream. So that became like a point of friction for us. And it really had a, um, a really huge impact, probably greater than I knew at the time. But at that moment, I literally made a decision like, I'm not good enough. So I should just give up now. But maybe if I'm not good enough, maybe I can help other people achieve their dreams, you know? And that was like when I really started shifting and I would only start going after things that. I thought were attainable for me. And that's one thing that made me really good at my job at HR or as a life coach, because I was so good at helping everybody else accomplish their goals and dreams, but I couldn't have mine. And then I realized that eventually I had to start, you know, I had like, I guess, like I don't say a midlife crisis or whatnot, but, um, you know, and I just said, I, I have to start taking my own advice, but what happened was I wound up just starting to dance and, and I, I kind of stopped doing musical theater in high school. So I was on the dance line. And then in college, you know, again, I wasn't doing anything creative and I went into like a depression and I was like, why am I so depressed? And I realized it's because I had no creative outlet. You know, I was just just lost really in college. I was just going through the motions because that's what my parents expected of me to like, you just go to college. Um, but I had no real direction at the time I was majoring in political science. 
because um, my mom always told me I was good at arguing, so I should be a lawyer. <laughs> but anyway, um, so the point of the matter is, is that at some point, um, I wound up interning. So I went to Florida International University and I said, you know, let me get into the art. Let me do something. So I wound up doing an internship with the art gallery and in the art gallery, I would be there at night and I would be the only person there. And I started getting like all this inspiration from the art. And I brought a sketchbook and I started drawing. And it was like all of this art just came flooding out of me into these pages. And I'm like, oh, my God. Like, And I hadn't remember, I have not done visual art for like, you know, 50, like over 10 years at that point. So it came flooding out of me. And I was like, Oh, my God, like, no wonder I've been so depressed. Mm-hmm. And so taking through taking that, you know, internship at the art gallery, it really kind of got me back like, you know what, <sighs> maybe I need to revisit this, maybe this dream has not fully died. So then I started taking art classes or sorry, theater classes with Sherry Faith on South Beach. And if anyone knows Sherry Faith, she's like one of the she was one of the most incredible acting teachers we used to have here um, in South Florida. And and I, I know like last I heard she went to L.A. Uh, to teach there, but she was incredible. I took her class and then she gave me the confidence from there. I booked um a short film, like a, a filmmaker came to her class. They saw me act and they booked me for a short film. So I did that. Um, that aired through some like PBS special that they had. Then um, I gave me the confidence to audition for musical theater at FIU. And um, I was the one of three that were not in the theater pro- program that got cast for the musical theater production of Company by Stephen Sondheim. And um, and that was a really neat opportunity. Um, you know, the character Susan is a Southern Belle. So I got to like go to like dialect coaching uh, to really work on my Southern accent. <laughs> and, um, you know, uh, so that was really special. And then the the director of that production, Wayne Robinson, God bless his soul, he he passed away um, a little while ago, but he came up to me and he said, why don't you why don't you just be in the theater program? You know, why don't you just complete, uh, you know, and I was like, because I have three classes left to graduate and I was like already behind. So I didn't do that. And that's actually one of my biggest regrets. I wish I would have just gone and maybe gotten a minor, or, you know, and then in college, you know. Right as I was about to graduate, I got pregnant. <laughs> so that I was just like, okay. And look, I, I, my, one of my, one of my biggest joys in life is my son. I am so glad to be a mother. He is the most extraordinary, amazing human being on this planet. I'm gonna like get emotional like <laughs> talking about him because like, like, like my son has been my biggest cheerleader my whole entire life. And it's always made him proud that I never gave up on my dreams. And so what he got to see was like a parent that never gave up on their dreams and never gave up on themselves. And I think that's my biggest accomplishment in life is that I never gave up on myself. And I really wanted to instill that in him because it's so critical. It's like one of the most important things in life. No matter what happens, like do not give up on who you are. Like you can always be who you were meant to be. And you know, I was with him last night and I think that's why I'm so emotional <laughs> because 
he's always cheered me on. He's always been like, you can do it. And it's just been like amazing. Like he has really been my rock through all of it. And, you know, you, you maybe think the roles will be different. And of course I've been a support. <laughs> it's not like I haven't been support to him, but it's just like, I feel like God really knew what I needed. You know, I feel like God was like, you know, you, this is, this is who you need right now, you know? And I'm just so grateful, grateful to have him. And I tell him all the time, you know, I feel like, I feel like we knew each other in a past life or something. My son is an old soul. He's always full of like wisdom and guidance and direction. And I'm like, you know, like sometimes I feel like he's the the parent. So anyway, but he's anyway, so so I think through eventually, like I said, you know, I had to kind of go back to work again with him and and stop performing. And I did musical theater, at, like the Miracle Theater Actors Playhouse. And then my mom, that's when my mom was like, look, you know, it's great you're doing musical theater, but it's not paying the bills, which was true. And um, so then at that point, I realized, you know what, maybe I should go into film because film is less rehearsal time. You get in and you get out and, 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 you know, like that, that was the idea. Like you can get paid, you can get in and get out. If I can get some commercial work, you know, it might not be consistent, but it's something I could do in between, you know, cause at the time I was substitute teaching and going back for my master's and, and stuff like that. So I was like, you know what, maybe I could do film cause it's just going to be better for me on the time. And that's eventually kind of like how I started doing more film, um, and then I just realized kind of I hit I had like a midlife crisis at 30 and I was like, all right, Dana, like you have to start doing your stuff again. Like I had been performing in a band, um, too. I was like the lead singer and songwriter for a band called Naked Down for a few years at that point. And we did alternative rock music and we performed all over the place, which was great. But I just kind of felt something was like missing, you know, and so. I broke up when the band broke up. I said, you know what? I want to start just playing and discovering, discovering myself as a creative newly. Mm -hmm. And all I wanted to do was start collaborating with people. So I would meet artists and I'd be like, let's collaborate. Let's do something. And, um, and at that time, I, that's when I got, you know, also, um, I wound up taking a, a class in drag and I learned the art of drag mm -hmm. as a king and a queen. And that was profound. That was one of the most incredible experiences. It really helped me break through, as I mentioned earlier, that that business Dana character that I created and helped me connect with the creative side of Dana because everything in drag is about bigger. <laughs> like when you think you've got big enough, it's like, no, no, go bigger, like go bigger. And I realized I wound up creating this character called Camille Leon. And that was my, that was my queen name. And a woman, a woman doing drag, it's called bio drag. And I realized that really Dana is closer to Camille Leon than the business Dana character. So I was like, you know. And the, one of the beautiful things about that is that, you know, as when you're a drag queen, you ha you give yourself permission to be another character. Mm -hmm. And so I was essentially giving myself permission to be myself. And that was really profound. And um, when I did the King class, my character was called, his name was Nappy Jones. And, um, you know, it's, it's at the time, you know, I, 
I just wanted to um, not be myself. I did not feel really fully comfortable in my skin yet. And I really just wanted to disappear. And that gave me an opportunity to do that, but also to explore masculine energy that I had that I never even thought about that, you know, before. And so I know it became a little like controversial at the time, but um, well, now we would see it that way. But my intention was was never ever that my intention was just to go as far as I could into character to the point that when I performed in my character, people I knew didn't even know it was me. Mm-hmm. And and like I created like my own like kind of talking and walking and mannerisms for this character. So anyway, I mean, from that, I just kept go auditioning for films and I've done like web series. Um, uh by an actual uh, local filmmaker um, um, and just other, you know, shorts and things like that. So, I mean, it, most of my work is on IMDb. So you can you can see you could see that there. And then um, so now I do, you know, I I would say that that's kind of my transition is 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 it leading to film and I've done different things with musical theater before because I really do enjoy it. But like I said, just with the time commitment that it takes um, and not to say that film doesn't take time because it certainly does, <laughs> but um, not like weeks and weeks of rehearsal. Right. right? So that's um, and I enjoy film more and I'll, I'll say because you have an artifact when you do theater, you put in all that time, weeks and weeks and weeks of rehearsal, all that passion on stage, and then you have nothing to show for it. It disappears, right? So with film, that's that's what I think, the same thing with music. Um, I also started art, I started directing um, my own music videos too. That was something that I did also um, during the pandemic. I, I started directing i would hire the cinematographers and work closely with the editors and do all the art direction and concepting for my music videos and um so that was really neat too so just again kind of full progression from the performing side now to the the producing side um so yeah that's that's kind of like my career path as as a as a performer one, I just want to alleviate any concern, even though we're recording in Florida, we're not going to have to, we're not going to bleep out when he mentioned drag. Okay. Sorry. That's a bad joke on my part. <laughs> uh, you talk about music videos and it, it relates to something I also want to ask you, having worked on an animated film, music videos, I can't imagine how hard it must be for the musician or the performer singing, but not singing, like singing and then having them, I mean, matching up regular dialogue in post can be a pain. In a, and then when you worked on an animated film, did they make the animation first? Did you record the animation? Did you have to like match your your body and your language to your character on the screen? I would just love to hear about those types of uh, those types of projects. So I was really, really blessed. Um, you know, there's this incredible filmmaker named Bowen Tan. And he actually, um, we met him through the Arts Accelerator. He wound up taking the filmmaking master class, but he's a UM film grad. And he did this incredible, along with him and uh, Ben uh, Clairvaux, uh, produced it. And it was this incredible um, animated film called Mechamorphosis. And it was really revolutionary. It was, in, we did it in 2019 before the pandemic. And it was all about like the future world, like how in schools kids are going to be like half mech, like 
have a, you know, a mechanical arm or a brain chip in their head to kind of like keep up with the Joneses thing, you know, like that's how you're going to get into the best schools and stuff like that. So when they came to me to do the voiceover, I had to do a British accent and that was so fun. (laughs) Um, I actually uh, spent my, my uncle lived in England and as a child, um, I had grown, you know, I would spend some of my summers in England. And so I had like knowledge of like practicing when I would go over the summers speaking in the language. Was it the uh, the refined British or did you just go like full cocky? Oh, no, it was refined because the, the character is a headmaster. And I didn't know this, but a lot of schools, I guess, in, in China, the headmasters are, are, are British. And um, so I was like, OK, cool. So um, basically the way that that um, works or the way that that one worked was that they had done the animation first. And then you watch the animation and you you do your best to try to mouth it along with uh, with the the, um, so I had the script in front of me and then, you know, you just practice several times and you get in the flow. And then um, that was how we did it. And it that that film has won like tons and tons and tons and tons of awards. So if you have a chance to look it up, I believe it's on like online now. You can see it because it's already run through all the festivals. But incredible. Um, you know, he was selected as like like in the Sundance Theater Lab from that. And um, it was on PBS and he's just won tons of awards. So I would really check that out. I also had the opportunity to do like a radio play, if you will, like a, um, uh, for a, a friend of mine. Um, so that was really cool. So that was all uh, that was just us in the studios with Mike. So there was no animation for that. But that was really, really cool. With the music videos, you play the music. So you just you play the music when like, I played them. How I did. I don't know how other people do it. But how I did it is I played the music as I was performing. So that pretty much it it lines, you know, that was how we kind of took care of that. And then, you know, in post and editing, if if it's slightly off, you can move it over a little bit. But most of it was um, good. And, you know, um, it was really neat because um, I I don't like to release anything until I think it's like my 100 percent the best that I'm capable of in this moment. You know, I mean, I'm not perfect. And I. I'm growing and I'm learning and, you know, I'm not a trained cinematographer. I hire people for that. I'm not a trained editor. I can like do basic editing, but I think I I have a good eye for that. And so, you know, have ideas like one of my music videos we shot at America's Biggest Bounce House. And the whole idea was like I just grabbed like uh, her name is uh, Baby Wang. Uh, That's her. That's her stage name. Uh, Her government name is (laughs) um, A.J. Doomerville. And um, anyway, she's she's incredible. But I just grabbed some of my friends and we were jumping around in these huge bounce houses, having the time of our lives. And it was all about like adults kind of like reconnecting with that fun. You know, it's like, don't take life so serious, you know, and it was just it wound up being so fun. And I just, you know, for me, it's like important to get what's in my brain here. And I remember and during the pandemic, because we everybody was kind of like isolated or at home, I thought, what can I do just me and that's why I started kind of like I had shot so much stuff, but and I had so many songs that I never released because I was so I just I just lacked self-confidence. I was really insecure for most of my life. And I think that's something that 
people don't understand about me because they see like Dana, the performer, and they just think like, or I don't know, maybe I was playing that character so well that even other people believed me. Even I believed myself and I forgot I was playing that character. Right. So I think people, you know, didn't understand that there's like two sides of me. There's like this incredibly sensitive side that is very like awkward and introverted and antisocial and socially awkward. And then there's this other side this is that appears to be this confident performer. But that was, you know, that's only something that I really truly gained within the, like, I would say the last maybe three or four years. Um, so during the pandemic, I just said, you know what, I I was sitting home. I remember like, do we have time for this story or? Okay. (laughs) So I remember um, being being sent home from my day job um, during the pandemic in March. And I didn't know what was going on. I really hadn't been following this story on the news. I went home and I said a prayer. And I was like, God, tell me what's going on. Do I have something? Like, do I really need to be worried? Give me a sign. Give me an answer. Give me a message. Like, what do I need to know about this? Should I be concerned? And clear as day in my head, I heard, don't worry. Like, I got you. Everything's going to be fine for you and your family. I'm giving you the gift of time. Okay. You're always helping everybody else with their projects and helping their projects get made and helping them achieve their goals. And you will never know the artist you can be if you don't ever put your vision and your out your artwork into the world. And, you know, it's like, don't mess up this opportunity because you're not going to get it again and you will regret it. And I was like, okay, great. So I was like, let's get to work. And so everything that happened on the shelf, I mean, I had tons of music that was just not released. And so I, I went back like the last 12 years and I just started you know, finishing up things in the studio, concepting ideas. And then I would just get, you know, one cinematographer and one editor or like a small team, maybe two on cam, Um, you know, maybe that one other person that's in the music video, you know, I would just get like tiny teams together and just make sure everybody was healthy and had, you know, tested negative for COVID. And we just started getting to work. And I released the most short films, the most music videos um, in 2020. Um, that I ever had in my entire life. And I was so proud of myself. And I remember I was absolutely terrified because I was so afraid what everybody would think about it. And I was like shaking. Like I remember like wanting to like press post on like Instagram. And I was like, ah! (laughs) like, And I'm like, okay, just do it. (laughs) You know? And I was like, okay, I'm alive. (laughs) I was like, okay, I'm alive. Like, you know, and you know, and if people are not going to like it, Guess what? Because there's really huge artists that sell millions of records, there's huge huge movie stars, and there's certain roles that I don't like, or there's certain music songs that they don't that I don't like, and it's okay. And then there's certain that I love and and it's okay. The whole point was for me to share what's in my brain and put it out into the world. What the world does with it is that's that's what you know, God gave me the way I see it is God gave me a message and I'm the messenger. Mm-hmm. And whoever it's for is who, who it's for. They're going to find their their way to it. And it, whatever that message is, is going to be for them. And so that's that's kind of, you know, when you have art, share it. Mm-hmm. Share it with the world because you don't know who you're going to inspire. You don't know who's watching you ever. And that's something really um, important and powerful. And it's also my legacy that I want to leave when I go. When I pass, that will be my legacy. And so I'm really conscientious of 
the the roles that I take, the music that I make, and the message behind it. Because I wanted to, I want to leave a positive impact in the world. Not to say that I want to do something dark and deep. As long as there's like a message that I can get behind, I think that that's the most important. Like that, that's a really important thing to me. Everything happens for a reason. At the belief, 2020 was a year that a lot of people had the same life-changing experience, whether by self or external factors. Uh, you know, I know that happened to me. Uh, and you talk about leaving a legacy and how you're passing it on. We are going to talk about that in our next segment. Uh, we'll take another quick break. But uh, first, we want to thank our supporters that helped make this podcast possible. We would like to thank our partners that helped make this podcast possible. Cinevideotech, who has been providing filmmaking equipment, training, and services to the film industry both inside and outside the United States since 1968. M2 Films, who provides directing, writing, and assistant director services. ComTV, who offers consulting and production services for a wide range of entertainment, marketing, advertising, and commercial projects. This is Howard Brand with the Cinema Pathway Podcast. We'll be right back. And we are back. I mentioned in the introduction that you're doing a couple of wonderful things, helping artists tell their own stories. Uh, you're director of an organization called the Arts Accelerator. And uh, congratulations, you've recently been named the city producer for the Miami-Fort Lauderdale 48-Hour Film Project. Um, I've done a couple of 48-Hour Film Projects. They're definitely a, uh, an intense experience, <laughs> is what I could say. Uh, but the Arts Accelerator is something that's really really important and really in integral to fostering future artists. Um, so can, can you talk about that? Where did that start and how did you get involved with that? Sure. So my involvement with the 48 hour film competition started in 2013. Um, I was, um, I just registered as like an extra actor if anybody needed one. And I got a call um, from Chris Sofer actually um, who was the, the lead producer for this group called Lonely Avocado. <laughs> aren't they? Aren't they all lonely? <laughs> so it was, it was. So I showed up and I acted in that film. It's called Bon Voyage, and it wound up winning best film that year. So that was essentially my introduction to Forty Eight. And then fast forward to 2016, I had the opportunity to work with an incredibly talented filmmaker, Tabitha Mudra. Um, you know, who's just an incredible, incredibly talented artist, uh, cinematographer, you know, just writer, I mean, creative visionary, uh, incredible. And so I was really spoiled working with her and her team uh, on the production side of uh, Deep Within, which was, uh, which won first place again at the 48-hour film competition in 2016. But in that role, I was on the production side, I was the creative producer so without that opportunity through Tabitha and her team, I wouldn't have been able to even know that I could be a, crea a creative producer. Mm -hmm. And then from, from that experience, we got invited by the 48-hour um, film project to do an offshoot program that they have, which is another competition called the 48-Day Feature Film Challenge, where you make a day or you make a, a feature film in 48 days from beginning to end consecutively. And they pair you up with different teams around the world. And so each team takes a, a portion of the production. In our case, they wanted to do like female 
filmmakers. And so they found other teams that had won, you know, best film and 48s in their city. So they had a team from Bolivia and Argentina and North Carolina. And uh, so we started and they were all female teams and we started working with them. But um, they started dropping off like the first team from Argentina. She had a family tragedy, unfortunately. So she had to, you know, leave, leave the competition. And then um the North Carolina team left shortly after because we we wanted to come up with a character that was in the LGBTQA community. Mm-hmm. And they did not understand why we had to have a character like that. Right. So and we couldn't understand what the problem was. <laughs> so we were like, um, OK, how do we make this work? Um, and then they eventually just said, I don't want to you know, we're not aligned. We don't see eye to eye. And so they pulled out. And then the Bolivia team was the last to just um, say, no, you know, we're not aligned. And so actually the Bolivia and the North Carolina team got together and they did their own feature, which was fine. So we were left. I think 10, 11 days in to the 48. Mm-hmm. So because the clock's ticking, right? And we had to decide as a team, do we want to continue and do this feature on our own? Where originally we were going to make, oh, you know, I don't know, 20, 30 minutes. And now we're making 90 minutes. <laughs> so essentially, you know, your commitments have extended now, right? So everybody agreed unanimously, let's go. And everybody just called like everybody that they knew. And we had like 50, you know, 50 people working on this project, casting crew, we had 10 editors working um, at simultaneously to get like, we would literally go from set, and someone would, would drive the hard drive to the editor's house, whichever one was available that day. And then they would edit it and bring it back. And we had one, um, you know, master editor kind of like overseeing and piecing it all together to, to make sure it was, you know, uh, for continuity, just consistency, feel, you know, and everything. Um, so it was really an extraordinary experience. And I'm so grateful because, you know, as I had mentioned, you know, earlier, like if I wouldn't have been given that opportunity, I wouldn't know I could be a creative producer or a writer or do casting or location scout or assistant directing or whatever it is, you know, whenever as you've been on 48, so you know, like, you just have to do whatever needs to get done. If it's boom operator, you just Google how do you work a boom mic, you figure it out and you get it done, right? So it, it's such a beautiful gift. And this is why I encourage so many people to do the 48 hour, because even if, you know, you're not a trained, um, you know, you haven't gone to school for film, you don't you don't have to jump on a team and see what transferable skills you have and where you can apply them in the film industry, because there's a place for you. The only way you're going to find out, though, is by doing it and being there. So if you've ever, you know, thought about getting into film, if you've ever thought about, I have a story I want to tell and I don't know where to get started, jump on a team and just get your, get your feet wet and just see and observe how it is. And, and, and you'll see that you're probably more qualified and closer than you think to, to really making that, that dream a reality and that vision, bringing that vision to life and, and telling your story. And we need to have more original, unique stories that are authentic to our community and representative of our community. And that's something that I'm very passionate about, too, because, you know, even though um, 
you know, I, you know, I've lived in Miami since I was five. So for me, all of my friends are like Latino from the Caribbean, you know, like, I mean, it's like, it's just, a, it's a, it's, it's a, I, I like to say in South Florida, it's a salad and everyone gets to be their vegetable, you know? And I think that we really have to protect that dynamic, you know, because once when we start melting, then really, I think culture starts getting diluted. And I think people kind you know, culture can be very grounding. Um, and it really, I think, makes life a lot more interesting as long as we can maybe, you know, respect each other or agree to disagree. And that's OK, too. But I think it really makes life so much richer. And there's so many stories that you know, I just grew up with that I don't see on TV or even I didn't feel seen on TV. I really struggled seeing characters. I couldn't relate to any of the characters on Friends. I it, I just, I didn't see myself there, you know, and I, I was looking for myself, you know. Um, so I would watch like Living Single or I would watch something else that I could relate to, which might sound, you know, crazy or whatever. But like, I think it's just because I grew up with so much diversity that I just had a different experience that I didn't see reflected in like mainstream. Um, you know, so I'm really a huge advocate of, you know, really hearing the stories and, and showing the diversity, which is why I'm so happy that we have more diversity in film now. And, you know, um, Things like films like Black Panther or, or you know, any any type of film, even um, Mission Impossible, right? The the villain is Isai Morales. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is incredible, right? You know, like it's wonderful to see, you know, a Latino right there, you know, next to Tom Cruise. At You know what I'm saying? So it's so, I think, and I mean, he's a villain, but it's okay. <laughs> You know, just be there. <laughs> he looks fantastic. Also, you know? for, for oh, six, he's gorgeous. For, you know, for he's a gorgeous old, he looks, man. He looks great. <laughs> but an, an incredibly talented actor. Yes. Okay. Um, and he also, Isai, is a huge supporter um, and on the National Foundation for uh, Hispanic Arts. So uh, he's, um, he's a visionary. He's been a trailblazer the entire way and, and couldn't, can't, you know, so... Anyway, so I think it's just, I think it's, I think representation is important and not just for the sake of representation, mm -hmm. not for the sake of it, you know, but because there's talented people right. in all cultures, period, yeah. you know, and so let's just have talent be, be talent and, and, it, it's, you know, have that, have that be and we're on the path to that, I think. So speaking of different cultures, um, Yes, we record this podcast in South Florida. You're the city producer for Miami, but the 48-hour film project is actually a worldwide competition. Can you talk a little bit about, you know, some of our listeners may not know what exactly is the 48-hour film project? So the 48-hour film project is um it's 48 hours where you make a short film. So in in Miami Fort Lauderdale, it's September 8th through the 10th this year. And so uh, you know, registration is open, so you can go to 48filmproject.com and, you know, you can find Miami Fort Lauderdale and, and register your team. So um, basically you put together a team of creatives or you can join a team. So let's say you're, create, you know, you, you want to join, but you don't have a team. You can come to one of our networking events. We have a networking event this Tuesday, July 18th from 8 p.m. to 10 p.m. at the Saver Cinema in downtown Fort Lauderdale. And we're going to be having... um 
others in um, August as well. So if you can't make July 18th, definitely come, you know, and, and then we're going to be having. Um, so the next one is August 8th, also at Saver Cinema, 8 to 10 p.m. And then the next one will be August 27th at Bar Nancy from uh, 5 to 7 in Miami. So come join, you know, if you're an actor, if you're a writer, if you want to get it, if you're a cinematographer, editor, um, you know, even if you're graphic design, I mean, we have a poster competition. So what happens is um, people get together in these teams. There is a cost, the early bird cost, which is um, $158 for the team. So if there's, you know, four or five of you on the team, you can split it evenly or if one person wants to pay for it. However, the team wants to divide it up. That's fine. Um, but that's, you know, it's $158 to participate for the whole entire team. And then, um, basically, uh, you come on the Friday, which is, will be September 8th at six o'clock. Um, we're going to be having the kickoff at CML Studios in, um, the Hialeah Miami Gardens area because it's central to Miami and Fort Lauderdale. And, um, you will pick out a genre of film from a hat and you will be given a character, the name of a character. You can decide if it's male or female, an occupation of the character, a prop, and a line of dialogue and those things must be incorporated into your film then teams will go home or wherever they're going to go and be creative and and think about scripts and dialogues and characters and content you know and then start shooting um so they'll shoot either on friday or saturday and sunday and then they'll edit the uh, film on sunday and then they'll turn it in on sunday at 7 30 it's a hard stop you must turn your film in at 7 30 now the good news is that because of technology um the right now you submit it online so before we used to drive in our car and get to a location by 7 30 and you'd see people like running by, down the street to like get in the door by 7 30 which isn't really good because you know you have people speeding and you know whatever but uh now it's just a click of a button but you still have to get it in before 7.30. And then um, we have um, incredible judges. I'm super excited. Um, we have uh, Darius Daughtry, who um, is an incredible... He, he He's the director of the Arts Prevail Project. Uh, visionary in South Florida. Just is a spoken word uh, um, uh, artist and also produces all kinds of plays and um, cultural... Uh, um, productions on stage and um, is an incredible uh, local creative. So he's going to be, and he also wrote a poem that actually he partnered with Kathleen Dean, who used to be the city producer for the 48. And that actually screened in the Miami International Film Fest. So she basically put his spoken word poem into film and it won several awards and, and incredibly successful uh, short. And then um, the next one is uh, Cynthia Knight from Knight Films. And she's a showrunner and writer. And um, we're going to be working with her actually. And through the Arts Accelerator, she's going to run a writing for television workshop um, series. So anyone that has a TV series that they want to develop and create a pitch deck for in the log line and start writing their episodes. Um, we're going to be launching that with her in November through a partnership. And then Richardson Cherry, who is an actor and executive producer of the short film Compa, which just just um, 
uh, screened and had its world premiere at the Tribeca Film Festival and won a bunch of awards and now is moving on to other festivals. Incredible. We're going to be working with him. So, I mean, he's going to be one of the judges. So we have an incredible judge lineup for the 48. And so the the screenings of all of the 48 films and the the awards will be on September 23rd, which is a Saturday at Saver Cinema as well. And then immediately following that, we're going to be having the Arts Accelerator Film Festival, which is a separate festival, which is featuring finished films um, from filmmakers all over the world. So if you want to submit for that, you can as well. We will have judges for that. Um, Richardson is joining us again for that. Um, and we also have Chope Aluko, who is uh, one of the actors on Black Panther. So uh, she was a supporting role in Black Panther and many other um, film feature films and television shows. So she's um, she's going to be one of our judges. And she actually I'm so excited for her. She premiered her first short film that uh, that she produced. She's acting in it um, and direct. I believe she directed it as well. And it was called uh, Chidera and that just premiered at the American uh, Black Film Festival um, this past June. So it's she's been getting a lot of incredible uh, press. And um, I know she's just uh, she just announced she got into another film festival and it's very well received and a story um, about about her and, and uh, Nigerian culture and being Nigerian in the United States and kind of how that how that is. And so it's um it's it's really a beautiful story. So super blessed and excited to have everyone on board. But what happens after that? So best film of the 48 hour film project project goes to the world's competition. What I think is super cool is that the same weekend, September 8th, both Shanghai and Nairobi are having their 48 hour uh, film competitions at the same time. So people in China and Africa are going to be like, you know, doing like making films just like our filmmakers are here it's i think it's so 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 cool after first place film here goes to a world competition to compete against all of the other first place films around the world which is 48 in over 100 cities and then it's going to be in lisbon uh, portugal which is so super exciting and then after that they take a, a group the 48 takes a group of the best shorts and shows them at Cannes at the Cannes Film Festival in France so it goes to it's called the a short film program so that you know um, that they show at Cannes so that's really exciting and um, so you know obviously as I want the the films here in South Florida I want our filmmakers to go all the way to Cannes that would be super awesome to to have uh, um, you know Miami Fort Lauderdale represented and so that's what I I'm, I'm working on as well. Um, August 17th, we're doing a Zoom call. Um, Timothy Mark Davis is going to be joining us. He's the creative director for New City Players. And he won the best film. What is it? 2020, I think. Um, or 2019, I can't remember, but he, or 2021, I'm not, I can't remember, but he won Best Film in, in recent years. And so he's going to be on talking about, you know, how to set your team up for success at the 48. Um, I'm going to talk about how we did it when we, you know, and so it's um, anyone that's a, f- a free uh, workshop on Zoom call and you can, again, find it. It's on Eventbrite. All of our events are on Eventbrite or you can go to the web, the, web, the 48 website or even the artsaccelerator.org website and you can find all that information and, and, and get involved. What is it? I mean, yes, the 48-hour film project, it's its such a unique thing. But as as an artist and a creative, what's so special about it? I think those of us that work in especially the independent film areas, the no-budget, like constraints tend to foster creativity. And that really seems to be the, um, the marching orders for the 48-hour film project. I think it's incredibly uh, powerful because... 
you know, you're forced out of your comfort zone. And when you're forced out of your comfort zone, you might surprise yourself and see what you're capable of, right? Because sometimes having time and overthinking can be your worst enemy. In this in this circumstance, you don't have time to overthink. You have to get in, get out. You have to trust your instinct. To me, cre- being creative is a spiritual experience because you're literally creating something from nothing. Um, and so I think you really have to learn to trust your instinct. I think you have to learn to listen to your team members and edit. And, you know, and as a producer, your job is to edit and take the best ideas and try them out. But listen to everyone, hear everyone out. You know, um, we were talking the other day and I said, you know, I have two rules on set. The first one is everyone has to have fun. (laughs) Okay, if you're not having fun doing what you love, then what's the point? Let's let's give us ourselves the permission and the gift to enjoy doing what we love. And then, you know, obviously be professional, be on time and so on and so forth. But number two is to listen and encourage everyone on set from, you know, whoever's doing the crafty, the food, all the way up to, you know, the PAs and the producers. Like let everyone on set, if they have an idea, be encouraged to share it. We might not use it. However, you never know where that piece of gold is going to come from. And then lastly, you know, just don't be attached right? You have to, you know, things might not go exactly the way you think. When we were doing the feature film, we had a script and that needed um, a theater for five or six more days of shooting. And we didn't have the theater. We weren't able to get it and rent it. So we had to change the entire last 25 minutes of the film, rewrite it in 48 hours and get everyone on set and shoot it. Mm -hmm. So essentially we're shooting almost improv at some point with a teleprompter, but we wound up working it out to complete the film in time. So I think, and honestly, the main, the main message of the feature film, which is called Cali Matina, the main thing, the main message is to face your fears and follow your dreams, which essentially was what we were all doing, you know? So it's like art imitates life, you know? So that's what I would say is why it's good. And I want to talk more about following your dreams and really finding your true self, having confidence. Uh, we're going to take one more quick break and we'll come right back to that topic. If you enjoy listening to our podcast, please support us by subscribing on your favorite podcast platform and giving us a rating. Then you can head over to our online store at www.paradoxicalfilms.com backslash shop where you can purchase Cinema Pathway gear including t-shirts, hoodies, stickers, and more. Also, be sure to follow us on Instagram at cinema underscore pathway underscore podcast for behind the scenes photos and more. I'm Howard Brand, and we are talking today with Dana Della Camera. Before the break, we're starting to talk about getting out of a comfort zone, you know, artists, you know, not having confidence to get over the apprehension, get get over their own fears of failure. You know, you've been able to do that for yourself, and you've also been able to help others do that. What would you say to those artists that are just afraid to give it a shot? Well, I think, you know, one of the reasons why I started the Arts Accelerator in 2018 was because, um, you know, it is so important to find your creative tribe. It's it's important to, I always tell, you know, anyone that I work with, I say, go where people are happy to see you. Even if people are the most talented people on the planet, if they're not happy to see you and it's not, um, you don't feel it's reciprocated, 
you know, yeah, you can learn for that person, but eventually you're going to want to be celebrated and enjoy who you're working with and be seen by those that, that you're working with. This is your chosen family. So you get to choose them and they get to choose you. So, um, I, I myself found that in, in my own life, you know, I, I was so spoiled really to work with Tabitha and her team. And I said, you know, I have to create an exit strategy though, from my day job, because I, you know, even though I had done all this work or winning awards and laurels and so on, you know, with, with film stuff, I wasn't able to translate that into a full-time job and career. And at the same time, my son was still in school and things like that. So, you know, I might not have had the 14 to 16 hour days to put even at that time. So I said, you know, I, I need to just start creating an exit strategy for myself if I can't get like full-time work in, in production as like a creative producer or assistant director or something like that, um, you know, with my experience. So it really came out of necessity. Mm -hmm. And I said, if I'm in this circumstance, maybe other people are too, you know? And so I said, you know, let me, let me do something. Let me do, let me create a nonprofit and we can provide workshops because, you know, I mean, I had attended workshops in the community before, which is fine. Um, but, uh, and I learned something from every workshop I go to, of course, you know, there's always a piece of value. I just wanted to take a different take on it. I wanted to do something like immersive because I, for me, to really force myself to sit down for two days and, and write a script or write a film, like that to me was more productive than kind of doing it like once a week. Um, not to say that that's not effective. It, it can be. But I just felt like for me that I might learn better that way. And so I said, let's try it out. You know, let's try it out and see if it works. And so I wound up um, meeting Franco Barbati um, through a mutual friend that he just moved back down here from New York. And he was looking to do something creative and connect with the arts community. We hit it off. New York, he went to NYU for film and um, worked for several years in New York and L.A. Um, in writers' rooms, was an editor on the Oscar-winning film Pollock, and a bunch of other things, worked on commercials, won awards for his commercials. I mean, he's just done a lot of different things. So um, he has a wealth of experience. And even though he, he kind of more transitioned into the technology side of things, he still has all this knowledge and love for film and and desire to exercise that creative side of his brain, right? And, and play in that creative world. So um, this is like his opportunity to, to do that. And so he's now the chairman of the board for the Arts Accelerator. And he actually is the one that teaches the screenwriting masterclass. And, um, you know, I'm excited because we're going to be offering a screenwriting masterclass coming up soon. Um, we don't have the date yet, but it's definitely coming in the fall. So you can always look at artsaccelerator.org um, for upcoming information or reach out to me directly. Um, obviously, we're on Facebook, Instagram, Arts Accelerator and reach out um, so so that it's a two day intensive from 10 to 5. And essentially, you're. I'm saying, I don't know why, but I'm saying the word essentially all the time now. <laughs> I don't know why. It's essentially but, essential that you say essentially <laughs> all the important times. Yeah, I don't know why, but it's just like my word for the day. Um, okay, so so the, the screenwriting masterclass is a two-day workshop from 10 to 5 where you, you learn the way that 
that Franco learned to write when he was in writer's rooms. And then you are writing your script. You know, you've mentioned the Arch Accelerator quite quite a few times. Um, talk more about that. Like, what exactly is the Arch Accelerator and, you know, what do you do there and, and what kind of outcomes are you looking for from that? Sure. So the Arts Accelerator is a nonprofit organization. We're a 501c3, and we provide programming that assists emerging creatives in film with accelerating their careers. And we do that through um, networking events called Creatives in Film Networking Events. Um, we also offer master classes in screenwriting and filmmaking. And we, like, as I mentioned, we're going to be offering the writing for television coming up in November. So really excited about that. And then also through film festivals. So we have the Arts Accelerator Film festival and now the 48 hour film project on september 23rd so that is how we um we also started live script reading events and those have been really um awesome so we do a call for writers to submit scripts we select the you know top five scripts and then we do an open casting for actors on the day of the event and we hand out the scripts and then they get up on stage and they read cold you know they read the scripts so it's an opportunity for writers to continue to work on their works in progress and get feedback from the audience and see what's working or what's not working and also expose them um, to talent right and then the actors get to show their talent as well um, I know when I'm working on scripts I really liked to I really like to do that exercise because actors do things that I didn't see in my brain and I'm like oh my god like that's so cool what they did I didn't even think about that and then I'm like I go back and I rework it you know and uh, so I really love that element and it's like oh okay like it shifts like you know so again it's like a producer's always editing too you know and like even for me I think all the way through even when I'm filming I see the edit so I'll be like where's the transition shot we need something over here how are we getting from here how is this making sense how is it connecting with the story so that's something that you know that um that I'm always thinking about. Even when I read the script, I'm thinking about what it's going to look like. It's it's a movie in my head already. Mm -hmm. I can see it. And I'm like, wait a minute, you know. And so so sometimes um but but doing this live is 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 really fun. People really enjoy it. Um there's like it's so much there's so much talent. And we're going we're posting um all of it on our YouTube channel too. So we're really working on building out the Arts Accelerator um YouTube and podcast. Um so And I think it goes back to what we were talking about earlier with you know the film industry down here there's you know i kind of sometimes fall back to my project management background i think a downstream and upstream impacts you know the downstream is there's so much talent down here the upstream is how do we get people outside of south florida to know that the talents yeah and you know I, we're all partial to south florida but florida in general we want that and you know how do we bring them here for their productions Right. And we kind of hit on that a little bit. Like we work, we work really closely, um, you know, with, with Sandy uh, Leiterman and, and also Marco, um, you know, uh, you know, both film commissioners because they essentially want that to happen too. So their goal is to number one, yes, bring down larger productions. And then number two, have those productions hire local talent, um, more than just PAs, mm -hmm. right? Production assistants, right. which is great. It's good to have, you know, opportunities for PAs. However, there's more talent here, as we were mentioning. And that's one of the things that the Arts Accelerator strives to do, which is to highlight 
local talent. Mm-hmm. You know, highlight, give it a stage, give it a spot, like give it a space to really um, be celebrated and be seen. Hopefully, I mean, we're working. I know that in Fort Lauderdale, they're working on building those sound stages. So hopefully that will become a, real, um, a reality for us soon, you know, within the next year or two, depending on product building and so forth of that studio. And then in Miami, there's already a ton of production studios. So it's about how do we get our local talent in there? And that's one of the things that the Arts Accelerator is definitely working on doing. Um, you know, I just had a a pitch. Um, it was called Pitch Miami uh, with Univision, Univision Televista. So, you know, we're we're like, how can we partner with the community? How can we create talent pipelines that make sense? What can we be doing now to train and upskill our talent so that South Florida talent can be standing shoulder to shoulder next to talent from New York, LA, Atlanta, where they want to hire um, the talent? You know, what we hear from producers is that there's a little bit of a professionalism gap um and uh from talent here because a lot of the talent just hasn't been on like mm-hmm. you know 100 million dollar sets from New York and LA so it's like you don't know what you don't know right, right. and i think that in any craft and particularly in arts and filmmaking and acting you should always be learning. You should always be. And you can, like I said, I can always learn from somebody, whether it's a one hour workshop or a 10 hour workshop or two year workshop or, you know, a degree. So it's like always be honing and cra- like refining your craft, learning, seeing how you can get better, like seek it out. Don't just settle on like, well, I'm going to tell my story over here and I must be great because whatever. No, like re- keep, keep, just keep, keep at it. Keep, and it's funny, I was watching uh, something by Steve Martin and he was like, people always ask me how I got, like how I made it in the industry. And he's like, I got so good that people couldn't couldn't not pay attention to me. Mm-hmm. And then agents and producers, people started coming to me because he, um, I took his masterclass on um, online, on the, the whatever the masterclass. platform is, masterclass, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and he was doing comedy for like 10 years before. He was the number one stand-up comic in the world, basically. So and he was talking about getting on set and he was like, I didn't know what I was doing, <laughs> like where to go or to stand or whatever. But he, but that's the thing he said, become so good that people come to you and keep practicing, keep refining and keep being open to coaching um, until, you know, because they, they, they'll be so good that they can't deny your talent. And I know Oprah said this and a bunch of other people have said it. I just happened to see it that Steve Martin had said it. Um, And so that's something that, you know, we keep in mind with Arts Accelerator. And so we're going to be offering workshops too to be talking about what are the expectations because there might be just a gap in knowledge of what the expectations are and how can we close that gap and how can we upskill and train talent? And that's how, you know, we can do that through providing the master classes and the workshops that we offer. Um, we can do that by having events where we videotape it screen and get it out into the world through YouTube, podcasts, mm-hmm. whatever. Um, you know, I have a filmmaker in town from Atlanta and she was referred to me, um, call Dana. If you need a production and you're coming in from out of town, like she can help you connect with actors, locations, um, whatever you need. So, you know, I've been helping her find locations and calling for extras and stuff like that. So, um, you know, any way we can support the community. And then, of course, through the networking events that could lead to job opportunities to develop or get more experience on set. It also gives us, again, the opportunity to tell more 
stories reflective of the community and people's personal stories and puts you in contact with that tribe, with that group that's going to help you get that off the ground until we have that, you know, million dollar, $10 million, $100 million budget. You know, you until you have that budget, you want to look to your left and to your right. okay, (laughs) and really elevate those people as much as you can do, you know, and and hopefully it will come back around. Right. That's the idea is that you hope that it comes back around and people don't forget (laughs) the little people, you know, when when you get somewhere that, you know, maybe maybe if we could play a part in that somehow, you know, we would love to do that. And um, yeah, it really just came from my own need to kind of you know, create a, a community that supports each other, um, that comes together, that celebrates talent, um, that uplifts each other really out of a necessity to th- that I had. And, um, and, and that's what we aim to do is really to empower each other to create and to continue and not leave the state. You know, how can we retain talent? And that's when we talk to the film commissioners, that's what we say. A lot of talent will leave to Atlanta, New York and L.A. And how can we retain that talent here and develop those stories locally? So, um, you know, essentially, that's that's what Arts Accelerator does. That's why it was created. And that's why I'm so passionate, because also I want to create those same opportunities for myself. You know, I mean, I have dreams. I still want to act. I still want to, you know, have my TV show. And I have um, during the pandemic, I wrote a short form comedy series for myself. And so I'm going to be releasing that soon. I'm like super excited. It's an editing right now. Awesome. And, um, you know, I. It's my first time writing short form. It was like one minute episodes, uh, comedy episodes. And so I find the shorter it is, the harder it is. Short is hard. It was such a great exercise because you have to trim the fat. You have 60 seconds. You got to get in, get out, get in, get the attention, you know, get the punchline and get out. So, I mean, it's like rewriting and rewriting and rewriting and writing, but I'm like, I got it. Okay. This is one minute done. 60 seconds is done. Yes. You mentioned uh, getting a community involved. How, how can those in the community and those not in the community uh, support the Arts Accelerator or get involved? That's a great question, Howard. <laughs> <laughs> we want everyone to get involved. So you can, um, we're like I said, we're on Instagram, Facebook, uh, Arts Accelerator. We have our own website, artsaccelerator.org. Um, reach out, you know, slide through the DMs, say what's up, Dana, get on our newsletter. Um, when you go to the website, you can sign up to get on the newsletter. And so we'll add your email to the newsletter and then you'll be up to date on film festivals, productions, things that we're doing, you know, we try to, you know, one of the things is that we do support the other arts organizations locally, you know, whoever wants to (laughs) support and partner with us, we're happy to do it as long as it makes sense. Um, You know, so we we do promote a lot of other uh, film festivals and workshops and things of that nature from other organizations that are going on um, as well. Um, And I have to give a shout out to um, Hal at the Fort Lauderdale International Film Festival and Saver cinema because they're they're they've been such supporters huge supporters of us from the very beginning we couldn't do all the work we do without them and then also um eddie davis with live arts miami in miami and again couldn't do a lot of the work without his support so wanted to really give a shout out to those two particular organizations so uh yeah so reach out get involved uh you know come to a networking event on tuesday or or another one um and know that you're welcomed you know it's we are really blessed at the same time as it is a challenge here 
um, because I know a lot of the local film productions bring in their own talent from their own cities and states or whatnot. Um, But that's South Florida has a benefit to that because, you know, it's interesting, the mindset when you have when you come from such a big film um, and that's why I think Franco and I balance each other out so much because he has that experience of working on $100 million films. And then I have that experience of making feature films. You know, a lot of people who are in that world are like, oh, but we have to do it this way or this is the way it's done over here. And I'm like, oh, no, no, that's not how we do it in Florida. <laughs> like, I got you. Don't worry. <laughs> We're going to do it. It's going to be nice. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, we are the most resourceful, like, freaking creatives I know. And and I, you know, there are no rules. It's a wild, wild west. And that's why a lot of people come here. They'll go to New York and L.A. to shoot, get work. And then they'll come down to my like South Florida and they'll make their own projects. And they'll just. And I learned on one of my first shoots down here. If uh, you don't have Cuban coffee in the afternoon for your crew, you'll have a mutiny on your hands. Oh, yeah. Sometimes. It's yeah. real. Yeah. Cafecito yeah. 305. Yeah. It's real. Don't even try. That tells you where Miami gets the 305 from. It's not It's not the area code. It's that. That's Cafecito time. <laughs> yeah, but that's actually. I think Jenny Lee uh, trademarked that. Cafecito 305. So I don't want to get into any, uh, you know, we love Jenny Lee. Thank you for all that you do for the community. Um where can our listeners find out more about you? Where can they follow you on social or get in touch with you if they want? Um, Dana Della Camera on all platforms. <laughs> Just reach out. Um, you know, it's uh, when I was growing up, the kids would say Dana Della, click, click for camera. <laughs> so if you remember me, that's see, a great way to see. You should have trademarked that. Dana Della Click Click. Yeah. Maybe I will, Howard. <laughs> mm-hmm. okay. I'll take just a small I will. 10% finder's fee. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Why not? Why not? Um, you know, you've given some great advice, great insight. Um, thank you for opening up. Can I say one last thing before we close? I was just about to ask you <laughs> if you have any closing thoughts I, or anything you'd uh, like to talk about. Yeah. I, anything I, you haven't touched on. Yeah. I just want to answer your question because I just realized I might not have answered it. Um, <laughs> um, just, I think that there's there's something about the imposter syndrome or, or confidence issues or, again, like we've touched on, not having that support. And I think there comes a time where you just have to just give all that up and give yourself a chance to just explore something, you know, just show up and explore. You don't have to get married to anything, you know, uh, go and, and say, you know what, I'm going to put myself and I'm going to see, I'm just going to see how it is. I'm just going to try it out. I don't have to have some life dream or goal. I, it doesn't have to be so heavy and significant. It can just be giving yourself a chance to explore. And, you know, everything in life is made up. Even the imposter syndrome is made up. So if everything is made up, (laughs) then just, you know, we only have one life to live. And let's make it count. Let's make our time count. Time is guaranteed to no one. And you can't say, oh, I'm going to do it when I retire. I'm going to do it. No, if you put it in your calendar, commit to something and show up for yourself in your life. And, and, and it's a, it's, it's also a bit of surrender, like giving up what other people think, giving up needing that validation. And I saw for me that that was one of the biggest challenges was I had a need for validation. I think I was just trying to make up for that 
that the lack of validation from my family. So I was trying to find that in places outside of myself. And guess what? It's not outside of myself. (laughs) And let me tell you, I still struggle with that to this day, even though, you know, I was like, why am I really doing this? What is it that really drives me? You know, because when my father passed away in 2021, I went through like another depression because he was my big, he became, even though we were kind of estranged for a while, he wound up coming back into the picture and becoming my biggest cheerleader. And when my biggest cheerleader disappeared, on top of three other incredibly powerful instru- instru- like instrumental men in my life, it was something that, um, you know, for the first time in my life, I had to let others carry me. And I think sometime in life, you know, let others carry you. They'll need you down the road, you know, but let it's okay. It's it's okay. You just might need to show up and not do the 500 things you normally do. Just do the one thing and let everyone else do their things. And that it's it's not it doesn't make you any less of a contributor or there's nothing wrong. Um, you know, and so I think just it's so hard to fight through the self-judgment. You know, even to this day, I feel like, oh, well, I should be more accomplished. I should I should win more awards. I should do this and that. And it's like, no, Dana, you did the best you could with what you've had. And 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 how can you continue to grow from here? And where can you go from here? Mm-hmm. And let's just focus on where you're going and what you're creating. And I think if, if that's something that, you know, uh, somebody told me something that just echoes in my mind on a daily basis. And I, it's something I need to be reminded of on a daily basis. And that's don't count yourself out. I was, I was in a, a musical. Oh, so in Clubhouse, I was in the first mu- original musical theater production of, uh, it's called The Love Game. And, um, and, we wound up meeting in person after that, that after the, we, we did several um, performances on Clubhouse and, um, and everybody was so talented, like the singers and the spoken word artists. I was like, holy crap, you know? And people were like, oh, Dana, do you want to sing? And I was like, no, like, I don't want to be compared to these people, you know? And he just turned to me and he said, don't count yourself out. Like you are stopping yourself from, your own opportunity. And that has really, you know, I still struggle with it, but I always hear his, his, his words in my head, like, and that really pushes me um, to move forward. Because, you know, like I said, with my work, it's like, don't count myself out. Like, I'm going to put my work out there and so you're going to like it or you're not. And that's okay. It's not about me. It has nothing to do with my worth. And, you know, all I can do is do my best at any given moment. And I think if you give a, a hundred, like giving a hundred percent is the gift you give yourself because then you don't have any regrets. You can always learn from it and say, oh, you know what? It didn't come out the way I thought. Or maybe I could try something else next time. But at least I did it. So I can't ever regret not doing it, you know, and I think that's the biggest regret in life is to not do the things. And if you keep having thoughts about things, that's because you're supposed to do them. So you you literally it's like a, a blockage. You want to get that thought out into reality so that you can make space and clean out the closet for that next thought that's coming. And remember, it's about the journey not the destination. And every writer will tell you, they're like, you have to get comfortable with writing really bad, like really, 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 really bad. (laughs) So you can get good. And even Matt Damon was talking about like Ben Affleck and he was like, look, I know it's bad, but eventually it's going to be good. 
So be with me through the bad parts so that you we can get to the good part together, you know, because it's a process. I just read a quote by someone. I can't remember who it was, but he said, uh, if you're not nauseous after reading your first draft, you didn't do it right. Right. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And I think the other thing is just be open to feedback. You know, people get a lot of like attached to like their thing, which is important as an artist. I'm just saying that if enough people provide the same type of feedback, you might want to look at it, right? Even try shooting it maybe two different endings and see what works best in the editing room. But realize that if people have a genuine heart and you know that they're coming from a place to support, it's harder for them to give you that genuine feedback what they really think. Because a lot of people just say, oh, it's great. And then you're like, oh, it's great. But really, they had other thoughts, but they were afraid to tell you because they didn't want to hurt your feelings or they're afraid how you would take it or whatever the case. So, you know, I think just understand that if, if you know, not everybody has a good intention, but those that you know that do, like, be like, you know what, this is a sign of love and vulnerability that they're really, they really do want to contribute. And you don't have to do it, you know, but you can at least look. Like, yeah. does that make sense? Yes or no? If it makes sense, great. If it doesn't, or if you really have a strong artistic vision and you know instinctively, trust yourself and go with it, you know? So um, I just think that 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 those things are are, are important, you know, um, in, in the process. But, you know, life is here to be... Se- I don't believe we came on the planet to suffer. I believe we came on the planet to grow and to learn and to be our best selves and to and, and and to just you know use our gifts and and to the fullest of our potential and and so you know just have that in mind when when you're thinking or when you have your own internal thoughts about yourself it's like just give yourself a chance and be open to it and let it happen you know there's a, that element of surrender like i don't know what's going to happen i'm going to put myself out there and see what happens and and let 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 the universe do what the universe does. You know, for me, I just say I have to follow what's in my head. Like, follow directions. <laughs> Let the universe show up. <laughs> I follow my gut because I've learned my gut is smarter than my brain and probably because it's bigger. Uh, but you uh, you are wonderful. Thank this you. This has been wonderful. Again, your insight, your passion, your advice. Um, you know, we always love having guests that are passionate about giving back to the community because I think that's what all of us in this industry really do you know it's something we we all want to pass on to the next generation so that the arts don't die yeah we we would welcome you back here anytime in the future you want to come on Uh, it's been great having you thank you so much thank you it's it's been great thank you for being here and giving me the opportunity to talk about the 48 myself and the arts accelerator I really appreciate it we're excited to see what comes out of those To our listeners, thank you again for joining us on the Cinema Pathway podcast today. I'm your host, Howard Brand. Our director is Miguel Miller. Our producer is Juliette Desan, with associate producer Victor Ferreira. The executive producer is Freddie R. Rodriguez. This has been a presentation of Paradoxical Films. Please visit our website, www.paradoxicalfilms.com, for more information about today's podcast. You can also email us at cinemapathway at paradoxicalfilms.com where you could send any comments or suggestions for future episodes. Remember to subscribe to the Cinema Pathway podcast on your favorite podcast platform and visit our online store at www 
www.paradoxicalfilms.com backslash store to get your Cinema Pathway gear and follow us on Instagram at cinema underscore pathway underscore podcast for behind the scenes photos and more. We hope you will join us for our next episode where we will continue bringing on special guests to talk about the craft of filmmaking right here on the Cinema Pathway Podcast. Lights out.